Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and if you enjoyed today's episode or have enjoyed any of our episodes in the past, I would greatly appreciate it if you hit the follow button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, and also consider sharing with a friend or on social media. That way we can reach new listeners and hopefully inspire them in the process. Today, I have the great privilege of doing a deep dive into sports nutrition with Rebecca Youngs, who is a registered dietitian. This has been a very requested episode, and I'm not surprised because sports nutrition not only is incredibly valuable for you personally reaching your biggest goals, but it's also a subject that is super tricky, and I feel like there's not enough good, solid evidence and resources out there for athletes like yourself listening. So today, we really dive into the science. We talk about questions like, are carbs bad for you? Is there ever a place for sugar in your diet? Should you should you go into a run fasted? And so many other questions. Rebecca and I really dive into the weeds of sports nutrition, hopefully helping you understand what proper sports nutrition should look like. One quick note before we get into today's episode, today's podcast is brought to you by Gooder. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses that don't slip, don't bounce, and are 100% polarized. I love Gooder so much. They are so stylish, so many different colors. Uh, My personal favorite style is Circle G's. It's this uh, fun circle kind of sunglasses. I have it in multiple different colors and uh, I always match it up with a fun running outfit. Get my uh, drip on as the kids say these days, but they're stylish sunglasses starting at $25 a pair. Gooder offers a one-year warranty, 30-day free returns, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Uh, Again, 100% polarized and only $25. I also love how lightweight they are and I love how comfortable they are to wear for hours on end. You feel like you're not even wearing them. Uh, So that's always super neat because I feel like in the past when I've worn sunglasses, they're like heavy and you definitely notice them on your face. Whereas these just, you know, you put them on and you forget you're wearing them. So uh, if you want to support the show and pick up a pair, Gooder is giving the Running Effect podcast listeners free shipping on your first order. You can go to gooder.com slash the running effect to get free shipping. I also threw a link in the show notes and you'll see me sporting them on social media too. Again, find your pair at gooder.com slash the running effect and get free shipping today. Okay, without further ado, enjoy my deep dive into sports nutrition with the one and only Rebecca Youngs. Rebecca, welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing this evening? Hey, Dom. Good. How are you? I'm doing good. So we're recording this on November 22nd at 538, if we want to be very specific. So it's the, yep. week, of, it's the week of Thanksgiving. I have to ask you, I've been asking all my guests this week this question, and I don't even know when this podcast will come up. Maybe Thanksgiving will be far gone by this point. But I'm curious, what excites you most about the week of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day itself? And is there maybe a particular food that excites you most when you see it? Yeah, um, being with my family is going to be like very special this year. My my sister lives out in Massachusetts, so um, and she wasn't able to come home last year, so she actually got home earlier today. So that would be super exciting to see her. Um, definitely some time to sleep a little <laughs> bit, um, and then oh, food wise, that's hard. I don't ask me when I started doing this, but I make the turkey. It's it's like a weird thing. My grandpa doesn't do it. My dad doesn't do it. I do it, so like that's always my thing. Um, but like my favorite thing is my grandma makes like apple cobbler and 
like I cannot pass that up no matter what. <laughs> definitely excited for that. That's awesome. So I guess a base starter question before we really dive into the specifics. Can you take me through your own personal journey to becoming a registered dietitian? And actually in relation to that, maybe as you tell the story of becoming one, explain why that term is so crucially important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, it's becoming a little bit more obvious now, like I feel like with social media, um, the differences in the licensure dealing with being a registered dietitian versus a nutritionist. Um, some people still get those confused. Um, the big thing being that you yourself could call yourself a nutritionist. Um, my mom could, my dad could, anyone could. There's no legally binding, uh, um, you know, uh, term that or, or means that someone can say, oh, I'm a nutritionist. For a registered dietitian, that is legally protected under both a medical license and a national you know, board licensure. Similar to how like an MD or a DO, a doctor, that is protected. Um, so is the credential of a registered dietitian. Um, and the difference is, is that you could either just call yourself a nutritionist, you could go online and take a course, you could read a book and say that you feel really confident in that information, call yourself a nutritionist. To be a dietitian, um, you have to have both a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, as well as um, you know a certain amount of patient contact hours in order to sit for your board exams and then extra credentialing. So um, it is a legally protected term. Um, and you know you learn all the science behind all of this and being able to take care of you know patients in a hospital with super complex diseases all the way you know to things like sports and just general wellness and weight loss um as far as how i got into it um it very much evolved over a few years um you know running most of my life obviously i was always interested in nutrition but nothing special i mean i ate a decent diet but you know, it wasn't something I really paid attention to. Um, I think definitely as I grew up, um, I became more interested in it just from a general stance. Um, I started to develop some like health problems some GI things that, you know, I was seeing a bunch of doctors for and, you know, some of the recommendations that I was given were related to nutrition. Um, and when I started to play around with you know, changing different things in my diet, um, I noticed like improvement in my symptoms. But then I also started to see from an athletic standpoint improvement um, in just my energy levels, my ability to recover, um, all of that. Um, I also in um, high school um, suffered from athletic amenorrhea or people know it as hypophalamic amenorrhea. So I didn't have a period um, because I really wasn't, I didn't know really how to fuel my body well. I was fueling it with all the things I needed. It's just the amount I wasn't aware of. And so after working with a dietitian myself, I became super into it. And then that kind of set the precedent for, you know, the coming, the coming years of school. Um, but yeah, definitely evolved over, you know, over years um, and kind of through my own struggles has kind of led me into like my niche within nutrition. Now. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm curious, again, uh, just as a preface, so many of my questions are going to be so basic, uh, but yeah. just run with them because uh, a lot of these I just want to knock out of the park. My first question for you is why is nutrition important for runners in particular? Of course, all human beings, but this podcast, you know, mainly we're going to have runners listening. So why is it important for this demographic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it is, you know, really any athlete in an endurance-based sport, especially runners, 
are the ones that are going to benefit the most from, you know, either improving their nutrition um, or dialing in on something specific that they need. But the, the big thing that I see a lot in with the athletes that I work at, with is they are not eating enough and they're not eating enough carbs specifically. Um, that you know, carbs are essentially, that's what gives us the energy to run. And that's what gives us the energy to run without hitting a wall. Um, and so as a runner, when you're expending all of those calories, and then you're not only expending those calories, you're asking your body to do really hard things and run for longer durations of time, you need carbs. And so as runners, you know, that is going to be at a higher need than, you know, maybe our parents or our grandparents or someone that is just doing recreational activity. Um, runners also have um, more needs for other other specific nutrients, protein, um, iron, some other things that, you know, I'm happy to talk with people if, if they have specific questions. But, um, you know, big thing being that as a distance runner or even a runner in general, sprints, what have you, um, getting in enough calories is really important because the activity itself burns more calories than most. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here. You were talking about the the how carbs are crucially important and they're good. And I'm going to say, Rebecca, I see on social media all the time, carbs are the problem. Like carbs are horrible for you. What would you say to that? Yeah. So I would say that's based on a lot of misinformation, unfortunately, um, over years and years and years and years, of, you know, kind of back and forth in the science. And there was a rhetoric for a while that, right, carbs were bad. Like, we want low carb, low sugar, everything, um, because people were confused. We didn't really have a great understanding of what it did in our body. And a lot of those studies that a lot of these claims are, you know, come from are not conducted in, in a population with athletes, right? And so again, that's why I always talk to people, you know, your needs as an athlete compared to your friend who maybe isn't an athlete are going to be wildly different. And so for the, for, you know, people that live a normal lifestyle, maybe they're more sedentary with work, they work out here and there. Yeah, we don't want to overdo it, right? We don't want to, you know, eat a bunch of carbs and then not burn those carbs and use them for energy. But as runners, that is truly what we need. Our body can, through a multitude of other processes, derive, you know, glucose from protein, from um, different uh, macronutrients in our body. We can break down muscle if we needed to, to get energy, but we don't want to do that. Right. And so we have to give our body carbs, um, and that so that they could be burned and oxidized rapidly. And so, yeah, it is hard, especially in mainstream social media, pop culture, where we're talking, everyone talks about like a low carb diet, right? Like that's going to help you lose weight, all these things. And, you know, when I work with an athlete and they come to me with that, or they have a fear of carbs, you know, it's all coming down to the basis of like, well, what are your goals, right? Are, is your goal to be a better runner, a faster runner, to perform better, to feel better? Great, then we do need carbs, you know? Um, and so, you know, I do have people that will come to me and be like, I don't wanna eat, you know, eat that many carbs or all that sugar, it's bad for you. And, you know, once I talk through the physiological process of how that's burned, why it's not bad for you, why, you know, you will actually burn that and be able to perform better, than if you were to avoid it, um, usually, I can, usually I can get people to turn around. So you talked about this from your own personal experience of struggling with things of not fueling properly, but yeah. can you lay out the dangers of not fueling properly and maybe some of the downsides that it causes? Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
unfortunately, it is something that is pretty common, especially um, I would say in like younger athletes, like high school or high school going into college and still even college athletes and, and elites. Um, I do work with like a few a few elite runners out west who who do still struggle with this. Um, the big thing that what it can lead to is, you know, harm to yourself from a, in a physiological standpoint, right? We can have those extremes where in a female, we don't get a period. We start to have bone density issues. Um, in males, um, you know, similarly can have hormonal issues. Um, we can see decreased performance, a much higher risk of injury. Um, you know, we can't sustain effort for as long of a period of time. Um, we kind of put our body in a hyper stress state. And so that has a cascade of issues starting a lot of the times with hormones. Um, we might have to, like I said, we might have to degrade some of our our muscle to get energy um, to continue our other bodily functions, keeping our lungs going, our heart, all of our organs. And so it does put an athlete at an increased risk of, of injury and, and you know just overall harm to their health. Um, some usually don't see that right off the bat. Usually things will maybe be okay or improve, um, you know, if they're not fueling or maybe they're trying to intentionally lose weight, but nine times out of 10, it unfortunately does kind of come back to, you know, they get hurt down the road or, you know, they get really sick or they can't seem to recover well. Um, and so not fueling properly can be super detrimental to your health, but then also to your performance as an athlete. So I think one uh, good point to touch on specifically is how individualistic nutrition is. And I think you were kind of starting to touch on that. Can you explain why it's important to, and I think this is one of the big problems with diets is they group everyone in the same um, little group without realizing that everyone's body is different. And as you were kind of talking about, everyone has different goals. Like what are your goals? So can you explain why it's important to be individual in your approach to nutrition? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it was talking with that first point, what you said, everyone has different goals, right? So it's going to change, you know, based on the sport I'm, you know, working with an athlete in. It's going to change within the sport. Um, am I working with someone that's a track athlete, middle distance, distance, marathon? Um, are we, you know, where are we starting from, right? Are we starting from, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm eating enough. And so our goal is going to be getting that person on a more consistent eating schedule to match the energy needs that they're, that they have and the calories they're burning. Um, is it someone that is already having a pretty good diet and, you know, we want to maximize that. Um, are they having GI issues? Are they, um, you know, eating a lot of carbs, but still feel like they're hitting a wall. So like all those things are something to consider, but also, you know, just the basics of someone's just overall body mass. Um, will change how many calories they need. Someone who um, is coming back from injury, they're gonna need more protein. Someone who, um, you know, might have some, you know, eating a really great diet, but they still um, are having maybe some micronutrient deficiencies. So all of these things are super individual. And, um, you know, the calories and the carbs that I need as a runner are gonna be different than my friend next to me um, for a multitude of reasons. and. Sim, like you said, with diets, you know, they usually give a general statement based off of a general group of people. Um, and most of us will probably never fit those molds, um, but whether it's based on our genetics, um, our, you know, overall just likes and dislikes from eating, our goals in a sport. 
And so working with someone like a registered dietitian or reaching out to someone um, in the field, I think can be really beneficial, especially to high school athletes who are trying to navigate this, you know, kind of world where there's always a new diet or there's always a new supplement or um, a new pill or something claiming that it can make you better or faster or stronger. But yeah, big thing being everyone just as a as a human is different. And so everyone is going to have different needs, um, protein, calorie, you know, fat, carbs, all of that is going to be different person to person, even if you're running the same mileage as your teammate, even if you are kind of similar in height to your teammate running the same mileage, I promise you there will be differences. And so, you know, working with someone one on one, instead of, you know, reading about a general diet, um, and maybe thinking it's going to be great for you is going to be better for you. Um, probably won't waste your time as much and will hopefully help you achieve your goals faster. So I'm curious, what are your overarching nutrition like principles and philosophies yeah. when it comes to talking about these things? Like what are your own personal beliefs around what healthy nutrition should look like? Yeah. Um, I will say that for probably most dietitians, it will, it will change throughout your career and it will change throughout the sport or the type of um, athlete that you work with. I work with majority endurance-based athletes, um, runners. Um, I also work with a lot of soccer players. And so, you know, I always see um, usually people coming to me with a concern for like calories and being a certain weight or um, fitting a certain mold or wanting to look a certain way. Um, and so my approach, um, personally is I, unless there, there are some instances where I will use numbers, but I don't, I don't like numbers, um, personally. Um, yes, there are, if I have an athlete who is fueling really well and I want them to eat more and they're like, great, give me a number. I give me a number of carbs and I have a general feel that that athlete can handle that number. Yeah, of course I'll use that. But in general, I will have people saying, well, how many calories do I need to eat? And my approach to that is, well, why are we focusing on the number? Why are we not focusing on the feeling? And I can tell you to eat, you know, I can tell you to eat 2,500 calories a day. But if you, you were like, I still don't feel good. Like, I still feel like I have low energy, but you are so married to that number. I see a lot of athletes ignoring their natural kind of instincts of like, I still feel hungry or I don't feel right. But this person told me to eat X amount of calories. And so one of my big things, again, other than a few instances is I don't like numbers. Um, I use something called the plate method when I'm trying to teach people a basic kind of understanding of food, um, basically imagining a white plate and different based off of your needs, based off of your level of training or where you are in your season, how that plate will shift versus what's on it. Um, I am a super big kind of proponent of kind of dispelling that myth that like there are good and bad foods. Um, it's very much easier said than done. Again, especially when we live in a culture where things are very much labeled, um, mostly for a marketing reason, right? Like this is natural, this is healthy, this is organic. And people usually think, oh yeah, that's better for me. But I'm very, very passionate about dispelling that myth because when it comes down to it, whether I am eating I'll use the common example. I have a lot of people saying, well, are, is fruit okay for me because it has sugar? Should I eat it or should I not eat it? I'm trying to avoid sugar. When it comes down to it, your body will process a, a, a banana similarly to how your body will process a Pop-Tart. 
And so, yes, are there going to be certain instances where one more quote unquote natural food will be more appropriate than the other? Sure. But is there going to be a food that is better, um, maybe from a fueling standpoint? Yes and no. Um, and so I really try to show athletes that, you know, you can still have things like Pop-Tarts and cookies and Swedish fish and be a good athlete and be a runner um, and that you don't need to label yourself um, good or bad or natural or not natural. So those are two of my big things is really trying to inform athletes that you can fit a lot of things into your diet and still be successful and trying to take the focus away from numbers when it's appropriate. I'm curious, a lot of what you talked about um, kind of bounced off the idea of hunger and feeding yourself when you're hungry and you feel like you need more. Can you talk about where hunger comes from and why it's important to pay attention to the cues that your body is giving off? Yeah, so um, I will say your body is very smart. Um, It's just extremely smart. And, you know, for a variety of reasons as a society, there are times when we probably feel physically feel hungry, but we can't eat, right? We're in school, we're in a meeting, we're in the car, we're on a run. Yeah, so we need to work around those things. But there are, you know, without going too much into the science of it, there are um, a variety of hormones in our body, which, you know, will signal to our brain when we're hungry. Um, And a lot of things may kind of trigger that, right? So we have, an empty stomach and some of our hormones will kind of essentially let our body know, Oh, I don't have anything in my stomach. I can have food. Um, and it will trigger or uh, trigger a response in our central nervous system, um, to kind of give you that feeling of hunger. It can, yes, it can lead to growling, things like that. Um, it's, it's why that concept of food, there are certain foods that keep you fuller for longer versus others that don't that same thing, those foods that keep you fuller for longer are going to empty way slower from your stomach. So you won't get that signal, right? And so when you actually feel hungry, um, your body is telling you, hey, I need something. Um, And so I think that is a really, really, really hard thing for people to grasp. Um, That when I'm hungry, honor that, right? Like your body is really smart. Um, Yes, there are going to be times where I've noticed that, you know, we might actually have to go against our hunger cues, but in an opposite way. Um, Exercise can sometimes suppress those hormones that let you know that you're hungry, that you need to eat. And so sometimes I'll have athletes that will have a really hard workout. And, you know, we talk about getting in good calories and good nutrition after, but they're like, I don't feel hungry. And that's them trying to honor those hunger cues, right? And any other time I'd be like, great, listen to your body. But there are times when we have to be like, hey, you know, there's a reason why you don't feel hungry. There's a physiological reason, but we do need to get in calories. And so hunger is a real thing. It's a hormonal thing. Um, and it will you know, trigger your central nervous system and kind of encourage you to eat. And so I really try, you know, within the kind time constraints and the constraints of where someone is to encourage people to like eat on command. You know, there'll be situations when you need to eat, um, even if you don't feel like it for a variety of reasons, but you know, hunger is a really natural thing and our bodies are super smart. So if you're hungry, eat. 
Right. Uh, going off of what you were saying and maybe like flipping it on the opposite, I know you kind of used an example, but I think what I experience with so many athletes around me is they aren't hungry in the morning, so they don't eat before a run. And I guess yeah. you did kind of touch on the, the post-run, post-workout thing of not being hungry. Can you uh, first touch on the importance of eating before a run? Because I think that's a big misconception in high school where, and even yeah. also if you could tie this into it some way, um, social media ruins a lot of things. I think one thing it's done is talking about the importance of like fasting specifically before runs. And unless I'm completely um, ill-advised, I personally think that's a horrible idea going into the science of it. So can you talk about before run, why it's important to get in some sort of fuel? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're correct that I very much don't advise that either. Um, yeah. Um, and so a lot of people that will come to me will either say I'm not hungry in the morning or, you know, I feel like if I eat early in the morning or even just before a run, I'll throw up, right? I'll get nauseous. And, you know, for some people that is a really true thing. Um, they have extremely sensitive stomachs for a variety of reasons and they may actually do feel very nauseous. Um, and so with those athletes, it takes a little bit more time trying to find what's going to work for them. But, you know, in general, uh, I really encourage people to eat something before a run. And no, that does not need to be a full breakfast. No, that does not you know, need to be, um, you know, something super complicated. Um, the big thing before activity is carbohydrates, right? And um, sometimes I'll find out with athletes, they're eating carbs, but they're eating the wrong type of carbs. And so we have simple and complex carbs. Um, I always tell people kind of simple to start, complex to complete. So simple to start, meaning before we're starting activity, we want those simple carbs. And that is your kind of white carbs, right? So that's your white bread, bagels, granola bars, um, graham crackers, um, pop tarts. Really think of your more quote unquote processed or bad foods, which have sometimes been labeled that way. Those are your simple carbs. And why we want those in the morning is because they're gonna digest pretty quickly and they're gonna give us a good amount of energy. And so sometimes I'll see people that are trying to eat before a run, but maybe they're having complex carbs. Complex carbs are also super important, but those are, are carbs that have um, you know some fiber added to them, um, meaning that it's going to take a little bit longer to digest. Um, before an activity or a run, the last thing you want is to feel like you have a puck in your stomach. And so that can give the sensation of, I feel like I'm gonna throw up or I feel really nauseous or I feel really bloated. Um, and so those types of carbohydrates, we wanna change, we wanna wait till after activity. Um, and so some examples of kind of, I would call like the bland simple carbs that I've had a lot of success with athletes having are things like graham crackers. And again, it really, you know, we really try to say about, you know, 30 to 60 grams of carbs. Um, for someone that's not used to that, you know, that might just be two or three graham cracker sheets. It might be, you know, a pretty big handful of dry cereal. Um, even things like Gatorade and Gatorade chews um, that have some good um, sugars and simple carbs in it, which people can usually tolerate. Um, but yeah, we absolutely don't want to run kind of on a fasted in a fasted state um because you know like we said your body's gonna have to get that energy from somewhere and when we don't have anywhere to get it from sometimes we do have to turn to things like our muscle and break it down in order to get that energy and that's the last thing we want as an athlete right is to break down muscle that we've worked really hard to build um in order to just get us through you know a run um and so people have also 
made the claim that fasting is, you know, beneficial for weight loss and that it um, burns fat better and all these different things, which there is a science to kind of where some of those claims are coming from. But again, big thing being none of none of these studies have ever really been done in an endurance based population. Um, and we when we get to a normal kind of uh, exertion or via two max, like when we're running just generally, um, we are burning mostly carbs. And so we want to give our bodies that, you know, in order to burn. So we don't burn our muscle. So a question I have for you, what are the biggest misconceptions you see most commonly surrounding food outside of maybe the carb one that I think we, we mostly covered already? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of people coming to me saying that they have to, um, eat a low fat diet to be healthy, um, or can only have fat free foods, fat free dairy, all these things. Um, and again, unfortunately that is kind of a byproduct of mainstream, you know, social media. Um, and at one point, you know, in history and in research, there was a thought that fat is really, really, really harmful for you. Um, I try to challenge people on that, um, because, it's one of my like favorite things to talk about one being because um it usually makes taste makes food taste really good um and two being that like we do really need it um you know females specifically um you know from a hormonal standpoint um getting in enough fat is really important as a runner um so a lot of people tell me they can't have a lot of high or high fat foods and, and things like that um, there's a lot of misconceptions that um, fruit is bad for you because it has sugar in it. Um, that's been a more prevalent one recently. Um, and I will usually challenge people of, you know, again, explaining the science behind it. Fruit has fiber in it. It's going to slow that absorption of sugar, which means, you know, it's not going to cause a sugar crash. We aren't going to store it in unhealthy ways. Um, another one is, the, is that, um, you know, people saying that uh, they have to like, again, going back to the numbers, eat a certain amount of calories to look a certain way to run a certain way. I think probably a multitude of people can, can also agree with me that that is absolutely incorrect. Um, but again, a lot of the recommendations or a lot of the things people see on social media or TikTok or Instagram are not based off of athletes. Um, and again, even if it is what I need versus what you need are going to be totally, totally different. A question I personally have for you, uh, and it's something that I'm interested in because I've heard both sides and I don't necessarily know which one is right. Um, I think there's a big question going around, is meat like inherently inflammatory? So could you answer that and also maybe tie into that uh, answer the differences in like organic meat and basically like where you shop in the importance of food labels or maybe if they're not important, why they're not important? Yeah. So um, kind of where that that concept comes from is usually around red meat specifically. Um, so we're not necessarily talking about like chicken or turkey or fish or anything like that. Um, and again, a lot of the big talk around meat, was it good for you? Is it bad for you? Is it inflammatory? Is it going to cause heart problems? Again, all of that usually has stemmed from that whole fat is bad for you um, narrative because, you know, yes, there are cuts of meat that have more fat in it than, than others, right? And people who maybe aren't so used to being in the kitchen that will look like those white streaks in, in a raw piece of meat or steak, for example. 
Um, and so there's been a lot of research. Can it cause heart issues? Does it cause fat, um, you know, plaque in your heart and all of that? Um, and again, what I tell people is if you are a super sedentary person, we're not exercising, we're not, um, you know, getting up, taking walks, all these things that are just generally overall good for your health. Yeah, we maybe want to stay away from the fattier pieces. Um, is Are there any studies to prove that meat itself is inflammatory? No. Um, nutrition research is super hard um, because to control everything, um, you would you would truly need people in a lab setting for years and years and years to prove that one thing caused another, right? And so we can't inherently say, yes, meat is the issue. Meat is causing inflammation in people's bodies. Um, are there choices that are maybe better than super, super, super fatty piece of steak? Sure. Um, you know, meat can be really great, specifically red meat, having a lot of iron in it. That's something that a lot of my athletes struggle with, especially runners having low iron. Um, and so, you know, overall, I'm t if people add things in moderation or and they eat a general, you know, healthy diet, including meat, um, that's, you know, that's not concerning to me. I'm not going to think they're going to have high inflammatory markers or, you know, it's going to cause wreck havoc on their body. No, um, there just really isn't even research to prove meat in and of itself causes inflammation. Um, and then, sorry, what was your second part of your question? So if you go to the store and you go on the meat section or the egg oh, section, okay. you'll notice there's organic labels. In the case of eggs, there's like um, pasture raised, all these labels. Could you maybe explain which ones are important to keep an eye out for and which ones our company is just trying to make an extra dollar? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yes, there for a while, there was this notion, oh, if you eat organic food, you're healthy um, and non-organic food, not healthy. Um, there are a lot of labels on foods, um, specific, specifically like meat and eggs that claim like hormone free versus antibiotic free, um, all these things. Um, living in a country like America, we do have actually some pretty strict regulations on what products, what fertilizers, what types of feed can be given to animals or sprayed on crops. Um, and so to a degree, a lot of that is marketing. Um, now, if we start with like produce, um, there are some, you know, you do not need to buy everything organic to be healthy. Um, there are some lists um, called like the Dirty Dozen or the Clean 15 that usually the, um, like some environmental working groups put out that are maybe going to give you examples of foods that will have um, lower maybe pesticide um, amounts or um, that are gonna be the foods that maybe will carry the most dirt. Um, and I tell people, if you have the funds and the means to buy those organic, great. Um, if you don't and your choice is either buying, you know, fruit to begin with or vegetables to begin with or not getting it at all get the fruits and the vegetables that are conventional or the non-organic ones um the nutrient profile is going to far outweigh not getting them um as far as yeah like with eggs right there's a million different pasture raised cage free cage free pasture raised all these different things um and a lot of it does come down to the ethics of the in eggs, for example, the chicken, how they're housed, how much land they have access to, all these different things. Um, there um, is some research into the nutrient value and like 
um, maybe K-Tree or pasture-aged eggs versus non, and can that be linked to the stress of the chicken and all these things, which again, I tell people, if you have the time, you have the money, you have the wherewithal <laughs> to want to do that research or have someone like me explain that research, absolutely I will. But again, if it comes down to having eggs or having, you know, eggs as a high protein source versus not, and you're concerned, well, I can't afford K-Tree eggs, um, get the regular eggs, right? Again, that's gonna be more beneficial for you. Same thing with me. Um, but I do tell people, um, if you kind of have questions from more like the ethical side, there's some great resources out there, which I'm happy to share um, from the more like health standpoint side. Um, you know, there again is research in both ways. There really is no uh, one is better than the right. other. Um, I tell people like, based off of what you can afford, um, what you have access to, I encourage you to get it. Even if it's canned or frozen, um, those are actually still great options um but it usually comes down to like the means of someone's financial situation or ethically what they believe right um, so while we're on the topic of like inflammation i think another food group that is commonly debated about is milk and dairy being inflammatory what are your thoughts on that and what does the science say yeah so i'm a really big proponent of milk and dairy again there are going to be people that can't have it for true medical reasons right we are they have some medical condition where they can't break it down. They have um, a milk allergy to the milk protein, which is different than a lactose allergy when people say I'm lactose intolerant. Um, the great thing is now there are like really great alternatives to both of those for people if they still wanna include dairy in their diet. Um, I am a big proponent of it, not only because of the protein content and things like Greek yogurt um, or like cheese, but also the calcium and vitamin D, which is super, again, important for runners, especially those that might be struggling with bone injury, stress injuries, um, stress fracture, stress reaction. Um, that is a really great way to get in, you know, your calcium and vitamin D. But for those that choose not to have it for a variety of reasons, whether it's religious or they don't like it or they can't have it, you know, there are some great fortified products with calcium and vitamin D. Um, as far as dairy content, causing inflammation again. Um, I wish there was like a hard and fast uh, explanation, yes or no. There's a lot of research out there, right? Um, a lot of, some people won't have dairy or milk because it causes uh, hormonal acne break, breakout. Some people won't have it because it causes really bad GI distress and it causes them to be bloated. Um, as far as milk and dairy itself causing like systemic inflammation in the body, super, super hard to study that. Um, and again, I would tell people if, if someone is telling you that point blank, um, challenge them, where is they getting that research? Because yes, of course there is research looking into that, but it's really hard to, to control. Um, I tell people if you like dairy, you can tolerate it. Um, I think it's a great, great addition to an athlete's diet. Um, if you can't for a variety of reasons, um, health concerns or ethically you don't want it or you're a vegan or something like that that's fine. There are absolutely options and other ways to get in protein, to get in calcium and vitamin D. Um, but you know, the long of the short of, or I guess the short of the long of, of the question is milk inflammatory or is dairy inflammatory? Um, we just don't have enough research to say yes or no. Gotcha. No, that's a great answer. I do want to cover one food group and you did briefly touch on this, I guess already. So maybe expanding on it, you were talking about, um, 
well, you were talking about Pop-Tarts first, bananas and stuff like that. But I do want to talk about uh, sugar, and I think specifically in the high school culture, well, just runners in general, we're so type A, we think we can't yep. have stuff. Like, even as a freshman in high school, if I had, like, one piece of a candy the night before a workout, it was like, God forbid the whole workout w- yep. was going to be horrible, and then I'd do the workout, and it went perfectly normal. Yep. <laughs> it's like... Okay. Was that actually right. true or was that a lie I was telling myself? And removed from it now, it's like, okay, I'm not stressing yeah. if I eat a piece of candy the night before workout. It's not going to kill me. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about, um, one, sugar, the science behind it, uh, and, and also, two, how society, and I guess as I'm saying this, this kind of ties into every single nutrition thing we're talking yeah. about, but how society has made it out to be a lot worse than it actually is, particularly for runners, which is what we're talking about. Obviously, if we were talking about just your normal average Joe, we'd be having a completely different discussion. But what are your thoughts yeah. on all of that? Yeah. So um, I'm glad you bring that up because people will be shocked that I have athletes that are running Olympic trials qualifying times that use Swedish fish to fuel their long runs. And I also have the same grouping of people within the same team using honey um so you know if someone wanted to just label that good versus bad right natural versus unnatural um i have that happening in the same team at very elite levels and really what it comes down to is one what does someone really like um and if we're talking in the running sense um you know your example of the candy the night before workout kind of panicking about like oh no that's bad that's gonna mess me up um, once I talk through the science of it with people, usually that anxiety will subside. And so again, basically when our body takes in sugar, whether that is from a banana, whether that's from honey, whether it is from candy, um, you know, through a variety of different enzymes and, you know, physiological processes, we break down that sugar, um, into glucose and then further into different molecules in our body. And we then use that to generate ATP, which, you know, is just kind of like that, the, the gas in the car, right? We need that in order to, um, you know, get our muscles going, to get um, our organs going. And so your body, once it gets through a certain you know point in your digestive system, it has no idea if that was from a banana or if that was from a piece of candy. Sure, are there gonna maybe be foods that have added things to it other than the sugar that might change how that's processed? Yes, you know, using fruit or like an apple for an example. An apple does have sugar in it, but it has fiber. So instead of being burned quickly for energy, it's probably gonna be burned a little bit slower. And so there's times and places where, you know, maybe one choice is going to be better for what you're trying to achieve than the other. Um, And so, there is a lot of fear around things like sugar. It's gonna be bad for us. It's, you know, it's gonna make me fat. It's gonna make me gain weight or it's gonna make me really slow. Um, You know, it's actually probably gonna give you more energy. Um, And, you know, as your point being kind of like society, um, runners being super anxious about things like that. Yeah, we are a very type A bunch. Um, We wanna control as much as we can control. and a lot of people will turn to food, right? It's a super easy thing to control, especially with running as much as sometimes we want to control how a workout goes or how we prepare. We can't, we can't. And so people will turn to food. Um, not always a bad thing, but it can get very stressful. Um, and, you know, I see people micromanaging what they eat and thinking that, right, if they ate a pack of mini M&Ms versus a handful of regular ones, oh, I, I probably ate too many. That's why my workout was bad. 
Um, and I challenge people to kind of think about what you're actually doing. So like if you're actually giving your body sugar and carbs, it actually should give you decent energy. Um, if you really look at like some of the the foods used in sports, Gatorade, Morton, um, any gels, chews, those are sugar. Um, there's a reason why they're used in the sport. It's gonna give you energy. But yeah, unfortunately, again, mainstream media has you know made it something really bad and we don't want athletes to have it um or we see um products marketed as low sugar sugar free um this is better for you this is healthy for you um most of that is not marketed at an endurance-based population or a population of athletes um and so yeah like you said if we're talking about someone that maybe is not super athletic maybe has some other health concerns yeah maybe we are going to be a little bit more conscious about that but if you're an athlete and you're growing and you have a general healthy diet, um, you know, I might say, hey, how about you have two Pop-Tarts before a run instead of having, you know, high fiber cereal or something like that? Because to you, it might seem healthier, but it's actually probably not going to yield the benefits that you that you want. But yeah, mm -hmm. unfortunately, we do have to kind of change that narrative of sugar is not bad for you. Um, it is broken down in your body and used. Um, you know, the same, whether it's coming from candy or whether it's coming from, you know, fruit or graham crackers or something like that. Today's podcast is brought to you by Exact Health. Exact Health is a sports physical therapy app for the most common running injuries. The app simplifies access to professional and customized physical therapy without long waiting times and costs. Exact Health offers individualized plans that automatically adapt to your feedback, which is truly incredible. Over 15,000 runners have already healed their running injuries like Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, and so many other injuries with the Exact Health app. The plans on Exact Health are designed by world-class physical therapists with the intent in mind of helping you guys to get back on the ground running. And also, if you aren't uh, injured currently, they also have a state-of-the-art prevention plan for runners that really introduces you into strength and mobility, um, helps you to adopt good movement patterns, and is really a baseline for amazing strength training that will keep you strong and healthy and hopefully avoid these injuries as of recording this i've actually been dealing with some shin pain and i downloaded the exact health app and that has definitely helped with the pain and helped me understand the pain a little bit more and some of the exercises i can do to strengthen that area so that it will go away eventually I highly recommend you all give out this app a try. It's truly incredible, a very easy to use platform and has some amazing resources for both you when you're injured, but also, as I just mentioned, to um, adopt good movement patterns and just stay strong in general. So you guys can visit the link in the show notes of any episode for a quick link to download the app or just go to your app store and search exact health spelled e-x-a-k-t health in your app store and download the app today to try it out and hopefully feel better so i think i have three more very specific nutrition questions as a coffee lover i have to ask you can you take us behind the science of coffee and caffeine in general and its effects and benefits on performance yeah um, yeah, so also lover of coffee. Um, I usually get pretty moody if I don't have coffee or specifically caffeine, but um, yeah. And so 
you know, if we kind of broaden that from not just coffee, but caffeine itself, um, uh, caffeine is probably one of the most studied um, kind of ergonomic or ergogenic like agents that can be beneficial for you. Um, and it is technically a stimulant if you want to classify it as a drug um, because it works on our central nervous system. Um, and so how it kind of works, why it makes people feel more alert or why it makes them um, feel like they have more energy is because it blocks the uptake of a compound in the body um, called adenosine that um, usually promotes a sense of like relaxation and sleepiness. And so if you think about it, um, if caffeine is blocking that, we're not, we're not getting that compound absorbed in the body. And so when we block that, um, we kind of ward off that feeling of fatigue. Um, and it also, caffeine itself stimulates um, uh, hormones and neurotransmitters. Um, people will know of like epinephrine, norepinephrine, um, that promote like that flight or fight kind of response and make you alert. So um, it can be used in an athletic population. It can improve reaction time. It can improve energy levels. Um, it kind of lessens that sensation of pain. There's been a lot of studies that show that you know, two groups, one given a caffeine supplement, one given a placebo, um, the one given a caffeine supplement can usually exercise or go for longer before they feel pain than the other. Um, I will say that some people, majority of people do overdo it. Um, and, you know, big thing concern being like, it can, you know, too much of it can be not great for your heart. But if you are an athlete in the NCAA, pursuing the NCAA there it, it is there it is a somewhat restricted supplement um there's a certain amount you can have between a certain amount of hours before an event um you know in general um a couple of coffees a day are okay um you know again I tell people this is a super personal thing caffeine might make people some people feel great more alert ready to go others they might feel very anxious they might have an elevated heart rate they might have gi issues um so it's something you don't want to try for the first time before a race um or before a game um it's something that you know you want to play around with um some people are what we call caffeine conditioned meaning they're used to having it every day right like i usually will have coffee or tea in some form every day um, which means I will probably need more to feel more of a boost or a performance benefit than someone that doesn't drink it at all um, and then maybe has it the day, day before a race or something. Um, so if someone wants to use that in a beneficial way, we usually say about an hour prior to activity. Um, but again, it's going to be a super personal thing. But a lot of it is just blocking kind of those compounds in our body, which make us feel sleepy and relaxed. And instead kind of encouraging those hormones or neurotransmitters that make you feel more alert. So from a micronutrient standpoint, um, we haven't talked about that too much. Can you talk about maybe some supplements athletes should be taking regularly? And even as a preface, should someone get a blood test to get their markers checked out before starting to supplement with these things? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yes, I think in general, people going to their doctor, you know, yearly, things like that, they'll usually get a general blood panel. Um, which might capture some of these nutrients. Um, the big ones, you know, if we're gonna talk micronutrients that we focus on, um, iron being one of them, um, athletes are usually lower or endurance athletes might be lower in iron for a variety of reasons. Um, females, obviously menstrual cycle, you're gonna lose iron. Uh, maybe 
An athlete doesn't eat a lot of iron-rich foods, which would be in a lot of your animal-based products. Um, in general, there's a concept called foot strike hemolysis, meaning every time that we run, we are kind of bursting some of those red blood cells. And that doesn't mean, no, you shouldn't run. Um, our body, you know, can produce more, but as endurance athletes, we have kind of a higher propensity for having low iron. Um, some of those symptoms might be a lot of fatigue. Um, an athlete might feel really cold. Um, they might have a like urgency or craving to eat ice. Um, you know, they might feel really like foggy brained. Um, that's, you know, any of these times you feel something is wrong with your body, I encourage people to please go to their doctor, please go to a professional to get proper workup, um, specifically with iron. Sometimes a regular iron panel won't capture ferritin, which is what we really look at. So that might have to be ordered separately. So iron's a big micronutrient we focus on. Um, I touched on a little bit earlier, calcium and vitamin D being again, super important for athletes, um, especially bone health, um, or athletes that might struggle with um, stress reactions, stress fractures, um, getting that through dairy sources or fortified sources of calcium and vitamin D, like orange juice now has it, cereal will have it. Um, B12, specifically for my vegan athletes, um, because that is something you can only get through animal products. Um, and so most of my vegan athletes will supplement with a B12 supplement. Um, but again, encouraging people to please work with someone before starting anything because there might, you might have a higher need than others um, of a supplement. You might tolerate a pill or a liquid better. Um, or maybe you're feeling kind of like lethargic and you think it's your iron, but it's your vitamin D, right? So working with someone that might be able to sift through some of those signs and symptoms um, a little bit better and then help direct you to getting the proper testing or proper supplementation. But big ones being B12 for my vegan athletes. Um, my athletes don't eat animal products. Um, iron, or iron for pretty much all my athletes, you can get that through food. Um, being again, your animal products or your non-animal products being like your um, beans, uh, lentils, tofu, things like that. Um, but athletes sometimes who are anemic or having iron issues might have to supplement with a pill um, and then calcium and vitamin D as well for bone health. So going off of that really quickly, I think I came across a statistic um, like months ago that 28% or something like that of supplements just sold online when they were tested had some sort of banned substance on them. And that's obviously super important for athletes to be aware of because the last yeah. thing you want is a positive test and be like, uh, I don't know where it came from. So can you yeah. talk about, and, and you also get that with um, like protein powders and stuff like that, making sure that it's um, has the correct certification from Safe Sport. So can you talk us through the importance of checking your labels specifically when it comes to supplements to make sure you're in the clear so it, you don't test positive, which is the last yeah. thing anyone wants. Yeah, um, and unfortunately I have seen a couple athletes come across that issue where they truly were following all the bylaws, you know, making sure they weren't taking anything banned substances or not taking too much of something um, and they and they pull a drug, positive drug test. Um, so yeah, those certifications that you've, you've talked about, um, the two big ones that stick out are NSF, it's NSF seal or um, a UCP seal. So basically, those are seals on whether it's supplements, protein powders, pre-workout that basically say, yes, what you are saying is in the supplement is actually in the supplement. Um, and yes, uh, supplements aren't regulated by the FDA. So um, truly, if I wanted to make a supplement and put sawdust in it and market it as, um, you know, a energy pill, 
I could. Um, there's nothing really stopping me. Um, a lot of supplements will say, oh, I'm third party tested, meaning they had an outside entity test the quality of their product. Um, but yeah, as terms of safety for athletes, again, especially athletes that are gonna go into some type of NCAA system or any of my um, Olympic and Paralympic athletes, um, making sure that it is tested and safe for sport, whether it's safe for sport seal, an NSF seal or a UCP seal. Um, there's a lot of great brands out there now um, that have you know protein powders, vitamins, iron, things like that, that are uh, appropriate for athletes. Um, I have a couple brands that I like personally, just like really like that I'm happy to share with whoever's questions. But yeah, we don't we don't want anyone to be taking something that is tainted with a really harmful ingredient, or um, that isn't what they think they're getting, right? Because then that, you're wasting your money, right? Um, and so yeah, looking for those seals is super super important, um, and they're pretty easy. You could really Google them, um, and they'll come up, and you'll be able to see them. They should be pretty big. Uh, on the bottom, either right or left side of, you know, a protein powder or, or a vitamin. One question I do have for you um, that I think might be interesting to talk about uh, quickly is the is how spices influence, like they they're the, how they how spices can be beneficial is basically what I'm trying to say. And the biggest yeah. example that I think of, um, and my chiropractor talks about this all the time, is turmeric and its anti-inflammatory effects. So, are there any spices? Um, that you would, cause I just feel like it's a maybe lesser known subject, not that it's crazy important, but if you're going to season your yeah. meat, might as well do it with intent. So could you talk about seasonings and, and their positive effects? Um, yeah. specifically like specific ones like turmeric or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Turmeric is probably one of the more well-known or well-studied, um, supple, uh, spices that is going to have other health benefits. Um, there's been a lot of research in, it, in its anti-inflammatory properties, um, big thing being that if an athlete is going to try to start using turmeric, you know, two things to consider. One, um, we want to also include black pepper, um, actually, because a compound in black pepper actually helps with the activation of um, turmeric in the body and of the absorption. And also something to remember is that a lot of these studies that prove things we'll use for the example of turmeric is anti-inflammatory. Um, if you actually look at the science of what the amount that they're testing, it's a lot. Um, and so most people wouldn't be able to like actually eat something with that much spice and have it be palatable. Um, and so that's something to consider, right? Just because I put turmeric on my curry or on my chicken does not mean now I am free from inflammation for the next 24 hours. But yeah, there there is some great research in that it can be a really beneficial thing for people to include in their diet. Um, another one that maybe has some more health benefits, um, you know, uh, red pepper flakes or any kind of spicy pepper um, can be, you know, beneficial in, um, you know, kind of boosting someone's metabolism. Um, there is some research into um, other types of peppers as well. Um, doing s similar things. Um, but yeah, I would say that from a spice standpoint, um, yeah, if you're going to choose one and you like the taste of turmeric, I say go for it. Um, if you are very concerned, let's say about your inflammation or something, you're like, oh, I need to start using a lot of turmeric. Absolutely use some. But remember like, okay, there are other ways maybe we can address this. And 
um, you know, if you actually read the literature and the studies, the amount that they're using is usually pretty high. But if you're going to use it, I always tell people add black pepper to whatever you're seasoning or cooking with um, because that helps with the, the absorption and the activation of it. Gotcha. Okay, two final questions, uh, and I'll for sure have to get you back on another podcast because I feel yeah. like we could talk about many unique things within nutrition. I think you said this before, like we could do an individual podcast on each topic. Oh, absolutely. Um, but my one base question for you is like you have like 30 to 60 seconds however long you want but i mean like your main points (laughs) your main points articulated in this response what would be your advice to a high school or just runner in general listening to this who really wants to improve their nutrition yeah absolutely um big thing being don't overcomplicate it and that sounds really cliche and like sounds like actually probably not great advice But if you really think down to it, you don't need to be having the fanciest protein powder or pre-workout or um, supplements to be successful or to improve your nutrition. Um, A lot of it will come down to just making maybe better choices or better swaps. Or sometimes with my athletes, it's just changing the timing of when they're having, you know, different types of carbs or when they're having a protein bar versus having, you know, some cereal. Um, And so don't overcomplicate it. most of the time, nine times out of 10, most of my high school athletes are not eating enough. Um, and so if you have questions about that, like, you know, feel free to reach out to me or, or anyone that, you know, is is a registered dietitian, but um, don't overcomplicate it. You don't need the fanciest things. You don't need to be taking a bunch of supplements or pills um, to be successful. Um, that is unfortunately kind of the, the trend right now to be taking all the greens powders and all the BCAAs and all, all of these things. And sure, um, there's a place and there's a time for those things. But, you know, if you're just starting out and you want to improve your general nutrition, don't don't overcomplicate it. Like follow some basic kind of guidelines um, and, you know, see how you start to feel from a performance standpoint. Awesome. My final question that I ask every single guest on this show, and it's worked out perfectly that we've been talking about food the entire time absolutely perfect my question is if you had gordon ramsay coming over for dinner what would you make for him Ooh, what would i make for him um i make a really good salmon um so i'd make probably salmon and some type of like pasta um I'm not sure what type of sauce. I feel like he would probably be fine with spicy things. So maybe a spicy sauce, but definitely salmon and pasta. Awesome. Well, Rebecca, as I just said a minute ago, we'll definitely have to have you back on the podcast. So for all, for all our listeners, stay tuned for part two or part three or whatever it ends up being. But thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with me and my listeners. And uh, yeah, uh, it was an awesome time chatting through some of these specific subjects. And uh, I really appreciate it and look forward to continuing the discussion another time. All right. Thanks, Dom. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Running Effect. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, you can like, subscribe, share the show with a friend or two, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and even share it on social media if you enjoyed it that much. That way we can hopefully reach new listeners and inspire them in the process. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Exact Health and Gooder, two incredible brands. I highly suggest scrolling down in the show notes and checking both of them out. Until next episode, guys, I hope your training and running is going well, and I will catch you all then.